Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Patrick D. McCoy, the African American voice in classical music, and I want to welcome you to this next installment of the Opera Diva series. As you know, we take this opportunity to talk to some of the divas singing in opera. Some may be familiar to you, and others may need new introductions. But today, I want to welcome a dear friend of mine. Laquita Mitchell, who will be opening uh, in the performances of La Traviata with New York City Opera. Good afternoon, Laquita. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. It's so good to hear your voice. The last time we saw each other was when you were here in Washington uh, doing uh, Terrence McNally's master class. So it's good to have you on here today. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And let's jump right in. So tell me about La Traviata. Tell me about the New York City Opera production that you're going to be starring in. Well, um, I'm so excited about uh, being a part of La Traviata at, with the New York City Opera. This is a uh, Jonathan Miller production, and our wonderful, wonderful assistant director, Miss Elena Arauz, um, has directed us for the past, I guess, two weeks now, two weeks and a half. Um, a short amount of time to mount a production, but um, it's such an intimate, intimate show. Um, very, very famous, of course, for the Libiamo and the Aforce Luis Sempre Libera aria and the Provenza aria for baritone. It's a very, very um, traditional uh, opera, as in, you know, like La Boheme, I should say. Um, we are all enjoying this process. Uh, it has been a rough go with City Opera in the beginning, of course, with the issues with the unions. However, we all um, stayed strong, all the performers uh, and the, the artists stayed strong, and we are so happy to be working and to be uh, singing Verdi, <laughs> which is mm. definitely a blessing. Congratulations to you, and I see that you're, again, that you're starring in this role, and, and I can't help but reflect back on the life of Camilla Williams, who was who was considered the first African-American woman to, to sing with a major opera company, and she sang with uh, the New York City Opera. Um, how has she been remembered, or what has been the thoughts and uh, reflections on Ms. Williams' life uh, at this time as you all present this major opera? Well, since her passing a few days ago, her memory and uh, her life and legacy has been on all of our minds. Uh, we spoke about it during our rehearsal. You know, there are two operas being rehearsed at the same time, our our production of La Traviata and the Rufus Wainwright opera uh, Prima Donna is going on at the same time and will open directly after La Traviata closes. I'm not quite sure what's happening uh, with that production in terms of the reflection of uh, the life of Miss Camilla Williams, but for me, it holds um, a serious weight. Um, being African American, I, I watched uh, many tribute uh, films to her on YouTube and different things like that, and I, I owned her Porgy and Best recording, and I remember how elegant and how beautiful the sound was. I thought, wow, this is truly an unsung, you know, a performer, not knowing that much about her. But it's 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 so unfortunate, of course, we find out more about people when they pass than when they are alive. And um, 
I truly hope that uh, her memory will live on with this production and with everything that I do um, concerning working with City Opera or wherever. These women and men uh, in, in this during that time, they went through so much. I, I was reading her, her, her obituary, and I uh, think I read where she, you know, had gone to school in Virginia and um, was taking lessons in Philadelphia and worked at a theater as a ticket person, you know, collecting the tickets from the patrons. And I, I, just, I just thought to myself how this woman must have felt being in that theater collecting tickets while other artists are on stage singing, and she could do just the same and or better. Um, takes a lot of courage, a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of will um, to be in that position and to have to come around and enter through the back door in order um, to work or, you know, I, I, I think about it and it just brings tears to my eyes because I know that she probably endured some tough stuff. But her, her, her legacy, which is her voice and her singing and um, the wonderful legacy of singers that she left behind, uh, I guess teaching at, at, at IU and Brooklyn College and Bronx College, um, those singers should be very, very proud of, of what, she has in, what she endured and um, all of her accolades. Um, they're, not to be, they're not to be forgotten, and, and not at all. When I, when I opened my mouth to sing in rehearsal when she passed away, I, I, was, I was verklempt because I, I, know, um, I, I know what it feels like to sort of pass through and be, try to be respected as an artist um, with gravitas and, and have people not look at the color of your skin as there being an issue, you know. Um, mm. Even to this day, I do believe that that still is a problem. Um, not so much as it was back then, but I was also reading that her tenor, who debuted with her in Madame Butterfly in, in the 40s, had written a letter to the then mayor, Fiorello H. LaGuardia, protesting the fact that he had to sing with this woman. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, she, again, thought of only the music, and she kept her eyes on the prize, and that was her voice, singing well and doing the very, very best job that, that she could. And that's what I hope to accomplish in singing La Traviata, to do the very, very best job that I can without, you know, paying too much attention about what the critics or whoever has to say because that's, that comes with the job. But what she had to endure and what, uh, you know, subsequently Marian Anderson and the others after, uh, that, was, that was quite something, and I'm so grateful for her for that. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. And what most people uh, did not know until the press came out was the fact that, you know, her debut at New York City Opera came nine years before Marian Anderson made her debut at the Metropolitan Opera. And so, you know, Absolutely. it's just interesting. It's, it's such an interesting uh, point that you resonate there. Now, tell me, uh, let's move forward. Another uh, special thing, yes, you're singing La Traviata and you're singing it with New York City Opera, but I think that it's, it's wonderful that you're uh, singing back in your, your hometown of Brooklyn, New York. Tell me about that. How does that make you feel? Oh, I'm smiling. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so, it's, it's sort of unreal. Uh, yesterday there was a wonderful article that appeared in the New York Post and a few of my friends read the article and they said, Laquita, oh my gosh, I'm, 
you know, I, I'm just crying just thinking about it because it's like I feel like it was just yesterday that we were taking the train from Brooklyn an hour into Manhattan to go to high school every day back and forth. I did that, and I and I just smiled, and I'm I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. I tell you, I've been walking in a state of gratitude because um, to sing here uh, for my family and for my friends. Um, and for my voice teacher, of course, and coaches who have been so helpful to me, um, I've I, I'm just I'm I get I'm just in awe of it all. And sometimes I forget um, how important it is because I'm just so filled with with gratitude for the opportunity to first of all sing such a magnificent role, and secondly um, to have the opportunity to sing so that my grandmother can see me sing. You know, my dad's mm. mom can see me sing, and my mom can hear me sing, and my dad and my friends who, you know, can't necessarily make it out to other states or different countries where I happen to be performing or whatnot. Um, so I'm really, really, really excited about this, and I felt nothing but love from everyone. And, again, sometimes I have to pinch myself because I, I'm – I'm so I'm really overjoyed, and I'm really grateful. Brooklyn Academy of Music is truly a jewel within the the borough of Brooklyn. It is really an an opera house, a romantic scene. Twenty one thousand nine seats. Oh, excuse me, two thousand one hundred and nine seats. Um, and every seat is it's as if I can see every face in the in the hall while I'm on stage. Mm -hmm. So it's very intimate. And actually, the, the the perfect size for an opera house, I think. Um, the pit is pretty low. Um, I, we're just all excited about it. When I walked out on stage, I thought, "Wow, this!" I have not been here since I was about nine years old, and my my uh, church uh, vacation Bible school brought us there for some concert or something like that. And I was about ten years old, so I I, I hadn't been there in years. But to revisit uh, band has been. Uh, Quite, quite, quite an exciting thing for me. And the area has redeveloped so much, and there's tons of fine restaurants and shopping, and it really, really has gone through a, a resurgence. And um, and I'm really excited about the future of, of BAM. So, you know, when you just mentioned uh, church, that that brings me to a next point that I always like to ask. Um, for a lot of African American singers, the church is is usually the place where uh, we, and I say we, because I sing also, but we get nurtured and get exposure to good music and hymns and spirits and so forth. Talk to me a little bit about how were you introduced to music, particularly opera and classical music as a child. Well, um, I grew up in Brooklyn in, in a brownstone, and my godparents owned the brownstone, and my grandmother rented from from them, and I was the only child running around in this huge brownstone. Um, it's about four floors, and um, my godmother was a pianist, and she, they, my godmother and godfather never had children, and I therefore came along as the child that they never really had. My godmother was well into her, I don't know, her late fifties, sixties, seventies. She still uh, took piano lessons. She always wanted to play the piano. Was I mean, had you know, 
she, I mean, she, she wasn't the best pianist in the world by, by no means, but she had such a want to learn how to play the piano. And so she would have piano lessons like once every two weeks. And she'd come home and she'd play in the Steinway and she'd play Mozart, Haydn, some Bach, um, play, of course, uh, hymns from church. And um, so that's what I grew up hearing in my godparents' home. And then my grandmother, who is from Panama, um, would play salsa music and merengue and Caribbean music. And so I heard so much growing up. And... um, I don't know what my life would be like had I not heard um, my godmother playing the piano. I don't know. But I will say this. After knowing that she would never have any sort of huge piano career or anything like that, that did not matter to her. What mattered is that she was able to look at music, sight read, and play, and she practiced over and over and over again. And that's where I learned the importance of practice, the importance of trying even though it might not end up, you know, in Merkin Hall or something like that. But for her want, you know, her personal want to play, um, I watched that, you know, and, and, and I realized that that was, it made her feel like someone and like somebody. So I understood what that meant as a young, you know, as a youngster. And even going into my, you know, high school and college, I did. I understood the importance of practice because I saw her do that. Um, in terms of really, really a singing, of course, I sang in, you know, at Cornerstone Baptist Church and their youth department. I sang in the choir. But no one ever really thought that Laquita Mitchell would be an opera singer. I mean, Everyone sang. It didn't matter who you were. You had to sing. It didn't matter. Um, <laughs> and you know how that is in the black church. You just have to sing. Yes. Um, but um, I guess going into uh, junior high school, I had the – my family and I, we moved from one section of Brooklyn to the next. And I went to an area of Brooklyn called Flatbush and uh, near Brooklyn College and I was eager to get into some sort of choir once I went into this junior high school, and I was told that I was not allowed to enter into the junior high school because I had not come from their district. I'd come from another district, and the chorus person didn't know anything about my abilities, nor did she try to find out. So I ended up taking dance, and I ended up taking print shots. Can you believe that? And so within me, within me, I always knew that I wanted to sing somehow. I always knew that. Um, I would throw out different ideas to my grandmother, and she'd just shake her head and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But I knew within me that I wanted to do some sort of singing. So when the high school application time came around, there were four specialized high schools in New York City. I wanted to apply for Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School, the fame school. So let me try and, of course, my grandmother said, well, it's too far, it's far, but she took the train ride out with me for the audition. I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, subsequently, a couple of months later, found out that I got in, and it was possibly one of the best things that could have ever happened for me. At 14, I was traveling from Brooklyn to Manhattan every day. Um, uh, I had a turned out and there was a young lady who lived directly across the street from me who also had gotten in in the same year that I did. So I had a train buddy, 
you know, so we would take the train and um, then there were, come to find out there were tons of kids in my neighborhood of Flatbush that attended the school. So there were a, a huge influx of us who, from Brooklyn that traveled to Manhattan every day to go to school. And we um, entered into, you know, Italian singing class and German diction class and English diction class and girls chorus and full chorus. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Every day at school you had no idea what would happen. Would someone come in and ask, hey, we need, you know, four or five singers to sing backgrounds for this jingle. Can you can we take these students? And you know, there were things like that going on with my school. So I I was so excited, you know, to attend school. But things sort of took took a turn for me. The ending of my freshman year, um, I was cutting class and the head of my work department uh, found me and said, Laquita, how would you like to meet Miss Jessie Norman? I had no idea who she was and I said, Okay, um Sure, I'd like to meet her. I don't know who she is, but, you know, if I get to get out of class, no problem, you know. He says, okay, you know, please meet me, meet me here tomorrow at 9. I said, fine. I went home, came back to school the very next day, met at Lincoln Center, and I saw this woman approach me, and I, at that point, was speechless. I was completely speechless. I, I, I had no idea what I was in for, and this and Miss Norman took, took myself and about 19 other girls um, on a tour of the Metropolitan Opera. And the name of this organization was called National Take Your Daughters to Work Day. So this nonprofit um, definitely helped to change my my view of things in that they gave me an opportunity to meet Miss Norman. Miss Norman took us on a tour of the Met. She saw that I I was inquisitive and I asked questions. She asked, She brought my first CD. She asked if I'd like to see an opera. I said yes. She told me to come back that night. My first opera was the Valkyra at the Met, uh, just 15, almost 15 years old. Mm. Saw Miss Norman come out on stage singing Zeglinda. I thought I was going to die. I heard the sound that she made. I heard the sound of the orchestra. James Levine conducting at that time. I had no idea who he was. And I thought to myself, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I mean, forget about the music videos. Forget about all the gospel stuff that I was able to do. Forget about that. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my God, I have a choice. There's one thing to be an artist, and, you know, sometimes you find yourself singing things. You're like, oh, you know, you sing some things, and your heart really isn't in it. And... My heart was always in it when I sang gospel music, R&B music, not so much. I believe my heart was in it when I sang gospel music because I was a Christian, and I am a Christian, and I, I felt like I, I, I had a, there was a, a, a tug in my heart. But when it came to singing this sort of music, classical music, there was such a challenge in it for me. I just felt like I needed to get involved. And after that choice meeting and seeing of, of the Valkyra, my interest was sparked, and that was it. My high school teacher, um, Mr. Ramon Reberg, recognized that, and every day he would bring me a new CD, a new tape of different African-American wow. singers. Uh, he fostered that, um, that, that want in me, and he saw that. I was able to listen to something and recreate it instantly. Um, my voice was so high, 
he knew that I enjoyed singing gospel music, but would that be an actual life choice or path for me? It could have been, but it would not have filled me the way that this challenge filled me. Mm. So that was how things sort of turned for me. And in high school, I decided to keep singing. And there were naysayers. There were teachers in my high school who said, I'll never be nothing more than a gospel singer. I'll never be nothing. I mean, there are people who said that about me who work at the Met. There have been people who said that about me all my life. But I've never really paid that much attention to that, knowing that those feelings and thoughts are there. I just knew in the secret place of my heart that Mm. I wanted to do that and that it is, more of it's a challenge for me that is so it's 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 something that I long for, something that I live for, something that I wake up in the morning thinking about. And just because that happens doesn't mean that that necessarily means that you have to have a career in it. But I do believe it is a, it's a special calling, and I believe that um, I was this was designed for me in some way. I can only imagine how in the world I would feel if I was walking towards Lincoln Center and there stands the great Jesse Norman. My goodness, what an honor. And that relationship is still maintained to this day, correct? It is, and I'm so excited about it. And I'm excited that um, that I was able to make good, you know. Um, mm. Sometimes, you know, you can help young people, you can give them advice, you can talk to them about your experiences, and then the next day you see them on Facebook or wherever and they're still talking about what they should do with their lives. Sometimes Mm -hmm. certain seeds aren't planted, but that's why it's important to plant as many seeds as you can because you never know which one might sprout, you know. So for her, of those 19, 20 girls that were there that day, if two received what she gave, then she's done her job, and she did do her job. So um, I, I feel I feel that in any way in which I can help and or encourage people, I do it, even if I don't know what that might turn out to be. I mean, look, I was a kid from Brooklyn, had no idea what I was getting myself into, and I'm quite sure she didn't understand where I was walking or coming from. But the fact that she gave up her time, which she didn't have to, it was a day of a performance. <laughs> she didn't have to do it, you know what I mean? And so for me, I I try to always give of myself in that way. Even if I know it won't amount to anything, it doesn't matter. It, 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 if you give of yourself in that way, you just never know what will sprout from it, you know? That's true. That's absolutely true. Absolutely. Now, you know, I want to change. I want to change subjects for a moment because there's no way in the world I could talk to this great New Yorker and not congratulate you guys on the Super Bowl. <laughs> Go blue! Absolutely, absolutely. I, I sat and watched last night, and I I thought, okay, are they going to be able to pull it out this year? And they did. I'm really, really excited for the city of New York. You heard tons of screaming and carrying on outside. So I know everyone is pretty excited um, about the win, and it's it's really great. It's a great Now, I know you weren't screaming with your beautiful voice. Absolutely not. I was laid up resting. <laughs> I was laid up resting. I have a tough week of rehearsals in front of me, and 
just trying to gain as much strength as possible because it will be a tough week. So, It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Laquita. And just as we uh, bring the interview to a close, could you maybe give us some information if listeners want to um, obtain tickets and also the dates of the performances? Okay. Uh, I guess everyone can go to NewYorkCityOpera.com and find out more information about the two shows, La Traviata and Rufus Wainwright's Prima Donna. And um, the performances for La Traviata will be February 12, 14, 16, 18. There are four shows at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And the um, first show will be Sunday, February 12th at 1.30, and our beautiful conductor is Mr. Stephen White, and uh, oh, I. Oh, isn't that your yes, Mr. Stephen White? Yes. yes, Mr. Yes, he is Elizabeth Futrell's husband, and he is fantastic. He's great. He's a wonderful conductor who has really helped to guide us through um, all of this. And um, I got to tell you, music staff and production staff have been fantastic all the way. Um, I'm so uh, proud of the work that we've all been able to do under such, you know, stresses with the union and whatnot in City Opera. We've been really, we've been able to really um, pull forth some some good stuff. Um, I'm really excited about the future for New York City Opera. I do believe that Mr. George still has some great things in store for the future. I pray that all goes well with him and the company because it is definitely a jewel within New York City. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited that this company has given myself a chance, Miss Camilla, Camilla Williams a chance, and countless others a chance to sing and to, um, to be a part of the, its rich history. Um, I'm hoping that Miss Sills will be proud of what we're doing. So I'm really excited about it. And I'm so grateful to you, Patrick, for, for doing this interview. And I thank you so much for always you know, coming forth and spreading the news to everyone, you know, about what's happening in um, in classical music. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. You just you just took the words that I was going to convey to you because I want to thank you, Laquita, for your support. You've always offered up something positive about what I'm trying to do as far as fostering a love for uh, classical music and particularly, particularly highlighting those contributions of African-American performers. So I want to say thank you to you, and it's been a, a definite pleasure and a long overdue conversation with you today. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Okay, thank you so much, everyone. We've been listening to Laquita Mitchell-Soprano, who will be starring in La Traviata with New York City Opera, and we're so fortunate that she joins us on the Opera Diva series. Again, this has been Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. I encourage you to follow me on Twitter, at Patrick D. McCoy, or like my Facebook page, Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. Again, this is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.